Howdy. This is Perry Noble, and you are about to listen to a message from Judah Smith. He was the fourth speaker at our recent leadership conference and absolutely brought the house down. Um, the biggest thing I took away from his, his uh, talk was stay in the boat. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense now, but it will in the next 45 minutes. What an honor to be here. I want to uh, first and foremost thank uh, Pastor Perry for, for uh, having myself and uh, never travel alone. Our youth pastor is here, Pastor Elijah. But uh, Pastor Perry, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for the excellence in which you uh, lead. Can we honor Pastor Perry and his wife, their whole team? Come on, can we thank New Spring Church for putting this amazing conference on? Come on. Well done. I realize that uh, all of the the glory and attention ought to go to Jesus, but what I found is that uh, Jesus has left us in his physical form, and he's now using people, and he needs willing vessels, and uh, there would be no new spring church, at least not like this, without the faithfulness of a man and his wife to trust God and to launch out, and uh, it's pretty amazing what God can do with a man and a woman who's uh, willing to follow him. Amen? And uh, you can imagine for somebody like, like me, uh, young and just uh, from Seattle, uh, what a privilege to sit here and listen to uh, world-class leaders who have been doing this for a long time. They're not, they're not new at this. Don't call it a comeback. They've been here for years. Uh, that's in the book of Hezekiah. Uh, <laughs> or the book of LL Cool J. But... Uh, it's just awesome. I know, uh, I think Pastor Mark had to take off and go back to our hood, but uh, what a privilege to be here with Pastor Mark. He really is like a big brother to me, and we have a very special friendship, committed to him just a few weeks ago, came and preached at our church, and uh, so cool just to be able to hang out with him. And then Pastor Stephen Furtick, I consider him a great friend, and uh, he looks like he's been doing steroids, but I love him. He's all jacked up. <laughs> And uh, I kind of feel the same way Pastor Perry felt last night. We're having this dinner, and they were using words. Uh, I was nodding my head like, yeah, you know, but I had no idea what they were talking about, you know. But you just try to look smart. But uh, to be here with, uh, with Francis Chan and uh, Judd Wilhite, and then tonight to hear from, from Andy Stanley, uh, what, what a great opportunity for us to glean and learn. Can I hear an amen? We're truly blessed. Amen. Would you go with me in the Bible? I'd like to talk from the Bible. And uh, as opposed to the alternative, go with me to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. And uh, again, I'm just so, so blessed to be here. Just about a year ago, took over leadership of uh, my father's church. My mom and dad built a great church. 18 years. Uh, gave their life to Seattle, Washington, and I get to carry on their legacy. I'm blessed. As far back as we can tell, uh, they say I'm the seventh generation preacher in our family. Uh, that's a number of perfection. i just throwing that out there. But anyways, uh, Mark chapter 4, 
to God be the glory. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, it says, uh, On the same day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat, as he was, and the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, I'm trying to find it in my Bible. That transition didn't work so well. Teacher, <laughs> do, do, uh, academia was not my strong point. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I suppose one of my missions and, and desires today, in just a few minutes that we share, is that, that maybe you'd leave this session with a great calm, with a supernatural calm. Not that all of your pain is gone, not that all of your problems have ceased, but in the midst of the pain and the problems, you have a calm, calm that only comes from Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they... Feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter 5, verse 1. Then, then, would you, would you just underline that word then uh, if you want to? It's a free country. It's a merely a suggestion. You could do whatever you'd like. But I'm just suggesting that you underline the word then. Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. Now leapfrog with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And we'll find another storm. Another storm. Mark chapter 6 and verse 45 says, Immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he set the multitude away, when he set them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was Patrick Swayze, and naturally they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them. And this, I love Jesus. He's so crazy. This is Jesus. The wind is blowing, and Jesus says, be of good cheer. If I was in the boat, I'd yell back, why? That's how some of you feel today. Some stranger comes from Seattle talking about be of good cheer, and you're like, why? I got no good reason to be of good cheer. And here's Jesus saying, be of good cheer. The wind has not stopped. The waves have not stopped crashing. All hell has broken loose in their life. And here's Jesus, the gall, the nerve, and the audacity to say, be of good cheer. And he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat. And finally the wind ceased. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled, for they not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Notice verse 53. When, would you underline that word? When they crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and anchored there. I'd like to uh, speak briefly uh, from the subject of matters of the meantime. Matters of the meantime. And uh, you can write that down if you're taking notes. If you're not, uh, no problem, no condemnation, whatever. But uh, would you pray with me? It's, it's my custom oftentimes just to pray. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us Jesus. For if we'll see Jesus, we'll never be the same again. Amen. 
Father, we thank you for your spirit that's in this place. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would do what you do best, which is to reveal unto these leaders and pastors the beauty, the majesty, and the sufficiency of Jesus. Father, help us to get our eyes off ourselves and our eyes on Jesus. We thank you for your grace. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for the Seahawks. Thank you that they won their first game. And uh, Lord, help the Gamecocks and the Tigers. In Jesus' name, amen. Just trying to be friendly. Have you ever been on a road trip? I mean, come on, we're Americans, right? So we've all been on road trips. How many grew up doing road trips? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know, I'd, I assume take a jet airplane, but uh, we grew up broke, and uh, so uh, we, we, we went on road trips. And, and my dad loves road trips. I'm from a new generation. I don't like road trips. I just want to get to where I'm going. But dad likes to see the scenery. And so uh, perpetually growing up, we would go on one summer vacation, and uh, we didn't have the money to pay for it, but we made friends that were rich, so they paid for it. And then I married their daughter. But anyways... <laughs> I felt obligated, but uh, it's cool. Um, so we would drive from, from Portland, Oregon, where I grew up until I was about 13, and we'd drive to this place called Bend, Oregon, and uh, it's about two-and-a-half-hour drive or so, and uh, usually right around the halfway point or so, there's this place called Detroit Lake, and, uh, you know, kids don't go to conventions or conference to learn this particular phrase. It's just kind of spontaneously comes out of them. And I think it's universal. I think it's global. Uh, we're driving, uh, dad's driving mom's shotgun and, uh, my sister and I, my older sister, uh, she's a bit of a dictator, uh, would have made a fantastic communist. But anyways, uh, She's in the back, and uh, we're just doing what we're doing, and it's a road trip. And, and I, don't, I, I don't know why it, it just comes out. My children now, they have repeated the same thing. The generational sin has been passed down. And we're driving in the car, and I say, I say, Dad. And he knew what was coming next. Here I am, 9, 10, 11 years old. Dad. Yes, my son. Are, are we there yet? And sometimes there was just silence in the front seat, like, God, help me, my children are idiots. <laughs> like, if I'm the dad, won't you look around, son? Does it look like we're there? How about when the car stops and I open the door and you get out? How about then we're there? It's a problem. <laughs> of course we're not there. We're still moving. We're still en route. We are not there. I didn't know we were at Detroit Lake. I didn't know about Salem, Oregon. I knew we weren't there. I didn't know where we were. I knew we weren't there, but that's not the point, right? I didn't ask the question, are we there yet? Because I actually thought possibly per chance we were there. I knew we weren't there, but that's not the point. The point was me trying to tell dad, hey dad, I've done everything I know how to do. So we need to coordinate this. After I get done doing counting the cows and playing I spy with my little eyes and slug bug and take a five-minute nap, we need to coordinate because we need to get there at about the time I'm done doing what I need to do. <laughs> so what I'm really telling my dad is I'm bored. I don't know what else to do. I mean, by that time, I've listened to my yellow Sony Walkman. I listened to both sides of my Amy Grant tape. 
I grew up Christian, so you have to bear with me, okay? <laughs> gospel gangsters. I mean, don't act like you know what gospel gangsters is. And, uh, you know, Petra, I slip in there. Mom didn't know about Petra. She's a little concerned about Petra, but I slip it in there. <laughs> I've done everything I know how to do. Have you ever asked God that question? Has this ever happened? Hey, God. Yes, my son. You know, I don't know how God sounds to you. He can sound whatever, but God to me has a low, deep, bravado voice. Some of you are like, yes, my son. You know, that's not God to me, okay? So I hear, this is how I hear God, okay? Yes, my son. Are we there yet? Have you ever asked that to God? And, and, and the point is, you know you're not there. Wherever there is, that spiritual breakthrough, that goal, that plan, that mission, that purpose, that vision God put in your heart, and you're on your way, you're en route, you know that you're not there, your spouse knows that you're not there, your leadership team knows that you're not there, but has it ever just slipped out in the moment of intimacy and honesty and transparency with God? Hey, God, are we there yet? And it's not that as pastors and leaders we actually think we're there. Wherever your there is, I hope you know what I'm talking about when I say there. All of our theirs are different, similar in mission, but different in expression. So we know we're not there. Some of the reason you're here is because you know you're not there. And you're trying to get there. Have you ever asked God in the middle of that, are are we there yet? In other words, God, I've done everything I know how to do. We should be there by now. Are we there yet? And what happens in the information age, because we have so many book publishes and so many blogs and so many podcasts that we got people giving us perfect mathematical equations to produce multiplication in your local church. So we implement all of somebody else's ideas and concepts and it doesn't work. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. We're going, God, are we... I've done everything I know how to do. I've done everything they know how to do, and he knows how to do. Are we there yet? Here's the real kicker. Uh, what I'd like to do is, is tell you this afternoon uh, when you're going to be there, uh, but I have no idea. That's what I love about our passage that we're looking at just for a few moments. It says, and, and, and then... And when, like, how ambiguous are those two words? Then they crossed over to the other side. When they had crossed over to the other side. When is then and when? (laughs) It's when it is. That's what it is. You know what's amazing? You can do your investigation of these two storms in the Gospel of Mark, and you will discover that there is no exact timeline. We cannot be exactly sure how long it took from from the one side to the other side. We don't know. The truth is this, my friend. You don't know the then and the when, and neither do I. Some will want to tell you, if you do these seven indisputable, non-negotiable steps, then you will get to the other side. And when you start trying to make God a mathematical equation... He will ensure that those seven steps don't work. Because this is about a relationship. The spice, the consistency, the basis of a relationship is that it is unpredictable. There is spontaneity. 
And with God, he is a person. And as leaders of churches and leaders in the, in the kingdom of God, we've got to understand that what works for my brother may not work for you because you are in a dynamic relationship with your Savior and your God and the way that he will teach you and train you and lead you possibly may be different than me. So don't turn this into an equation. Don't turn God into a vending machine. Punch in these six steps and I get what I want from God. Well, then you don't need God anymore because you've cracked the code. You don't need a relationship. You just need your leadership principles. But God doesn't work that way. I think what makes my marriage sexy is that, yes, sir, is that. I love speaking to young people because I get up young people, you know, and that's, I've been married 10 years and stuff, and they look at me, and, and I was my dad's youth pastor for 10 years, best job of my whole life, and it's about the only job of my whole life. But anyways, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I was a janitor for a while, and youth pastoring was better than being the janitor. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, young people look at me like, oh, God, this guy's, like, outdated. And this is why I tell them all the time. I said, don't look at me like, 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 like I'm outdated or I'm boring because uh, I'm having way more fun than you are. That's what I tell young people all over the world. Way more fun than you are because I have sex all the time. <laughs> Anytime I want. <laughs> so, actually, you're the loser. <laughs> so, if the... Shoe fits, wear it. But anyways, <laughs> let's focus. I think what makes, what makes my marriage sexy is that uh, my wife is unpredictable. She's unpredictable. It's, it's the spontaneity and the spice of relationship. There's no mathematical equation with women. Dear God. <laughs> you teasing me. The most complex creatures in all of God's creation. There is no equation from this side to, to the other side. So here's my question. Here's, here's what I want us to ponder for the next 32 minutes and 40 seconds. What do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're supposed to be? What do you do when you find yourself, you're not where you used to be? I can never go back. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not where I used to be. But at the same time, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where God told me to be. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. What do I do in the meantime? What do I do in the meantime? There are so many leaders in this room. You find yourself in the meantime. You and I need to get together because I can relate. I just took over my father's church. He was the founding pastor for 18 years or 17 years. And all of a sudden, in a moment, and it was suddenly, we transitioned this church. And by the grace of God, it has been, we've got a church consultant. He said, this is the most profound transition I have ever seen. It, the grace of God is amazing. And it's all because my father and his, his security and his trust in God. He got up two weeks ago and said, my son's a better preacher. He's a better pastor. The church is going to get bigger. The church is going to be stronger. It's a nice transition. It's nice. It's nice when you've got a dad who trusts you and loves you. But at the same time, our church is not where it used to be. Thousands of us, whether we like it or not, we'll never be where we used to be. But at the same time, in the midst of transition, we're not where we want to be or where we're supposed to be. So what do we do in the meantime? The problem with the meantime is we live in a culture that is highlight-oriented. So not much is made of the meantime. Like, Sports Center does not record the meantime. 
We don't watch guys eating breakfast in the morning on game day. We just watch the touchdowns. We watch the three-point shots. We watch the goals. We watch, it's the highlights. We live in such a highlight-oriented society and culture that so, so nothing is really made of the meantime. So because of that, we kind of think that we've failed or we've done something wrong if we find ourselves in the meantime. So what happens when we come to leadership conferences and somebody asks you, they say, man, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, it's good, man. It's good. It's good. It's good. What we don't want to tell them is actually, uh, I'm kind of in the meantime. <laughs> Nobody talks like that at leadership conferences. Man, how you doing? Well, praise God, brother. Praise God, man. God's good. You know, he's faithful. God's good. God's good. The heck does that mean? My favorite line is, man, how you doing? Well, praise God. Yeah, I praise God too. I said, how are you doing? (laughs) Well, God is good. I know God is good, but are you good? (laughs) History doesn't record the meantime. Have you noticed that? So we we try our best when we get in the meantime. I mean, our, our story tonight, in both cases, these disciples find themselves not where they used to be, but at the same time, not where they're supposed to be. So what do you do? I've grown up in church. I've been to more church services than you've probably had cups at Starbucks. And uh, I heard so many messages on the reason you're in the meantime is because you didn't do this or you don't have that or you haven't exercised this or you haven't declared that or you haven't. So that if you do things right, then you'll. But I found you can do everything right. And there's still going to be meantime seasons. Consider with me the Apostle Paul. He gets radically converted. Saul becomes Paul, knocked off his donkey. The audible voice of Jesus Christ speaks to him. How many think he's ready to tell people about the encounter he just had, and yet God says no? Three years, you'll go to Arabia and Damascus, and you will be silent. The meantime, Jesus, of course, the life of Jesus. I mean, approximately 12 to 30, we hear nothing. He's in the the meantime. The meantime evidently matters to God. And what you do in the meantime is the key to that spiritual breakthrough goal, vision, passion you have for the future. Understand the enormity of your meantime. He said, Judah, man, would you come up with this message just from my life? I only dispense what I use myself. I'm one of them dealers. I use my stuff. (laughs) And it works. If, If we look at our passage, there's some conclusions that we can make very obviously. First of all, it is very evident that it is impossible for us to get ourselves to the other side. Apart from God, we will never get to the next level or the next place or the next step in influence that God has for us. We cannot do it on our own. Bible says in one of the, in, in one of the storms in, in Mark 6, they're straining. And in all of their straining, history records, they only got about, is in the book of John, they only got about two to three miles two to three miles out, maybe as many as four, the body of water is nearly eight miles. So in all of their efforts and all of their abilities, they've only even got halfway across. 
So in all of your brilliance and all of your strategy and all of your ability and all of your plotting and all of your concepts and, and principles, they will never get you to where you need to be. It is by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. It's a good time to say amen to a Pentecostal preacher. Thank you. It's only by the grace of God. What ends up happening, as I referred to earlier, is we, uh, we get embarrassed of the meantime. And that's one of the scariest places to be as a leader. Embarrassed. You know, we get together at leadership events like this, and we see one of our acquaintances and friends we've talked to. We've been a couple of years. Hey, brother, how's the church going? Man, everything's up, man. We've grown by 15%. Giving's up by 12%. Man, God's good. How are you guys doing? And instantly you go, ah, oh, oh, you know, man, I just, things are good. Things are good. And what happens is we start manufacturing the other side. The scariest thing as a leader in my life is discover that I was actually like trying to like create in my own mind that I had arrived and we're fooling ourselves. Well, praise God, everything's good and everything's good and everything's not good. But what ends up happening is we get in the community of brothers and sisters and we feel the pressure because this guy's doing pretty good, that guy's doing pretty good. And so we kind of start making stuff up. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever started saying stuff and then you repeat it and you start believing it? Am I the only guy that's done that? It's like, yeah, man, we, we've grown by 700 people. Like, you pulled 700 people out of nowhere. Just pulled them out of the thin air. God's just been good. It's just been good. I'm sure we've grown by 700 people. I just, he's just good. It's true. We start, start faking it. It's like, uh, you know, summer's come and gone. Uh, for you, y'all still having summer in Seattle. Summer's like a week and a half. And uh, sometimes, guys, you know, we forget to work out, and so then we go to the, to the swimming place, lake, ocean, river, pool. And, uh, you know, guys are expected to take the shirts off when we go swimming. And I, I like the guys sometimes just keep the shirt on. Like, man, I don't even care. I'm keeping my shirt on. It's like... More power to you. But most of us, you know, we feel the pressure to take our shirts off. And, and if you've ever been a guy, it's like, man, I forgot to work out. And so you show up at the pool and, and uh, you're in a bit of a dilemma. So, so what do you do? You do what every God-fearing man does. You suck it up for two and a half hours at the pool. People try to talk to you. You can't even talk because you can't breathe. You finally get back in the minivan and the family climbs in. You're like, my God, woman, we cannot stay at the pool for two and a half hours. I cannot suck it in that long. Lord Jesus. But as pastors and leaders, we do the same thing at church. We come to church and suck it in. How you doing? Praise God. God's good. Everything's pastor. You need any prayer? I don't need any prayer. I can pray for you because I'm the prayer warrior. I'm going to pray for you. I'm the preacher. And we preach the sermon, and we got, we got it all sucked up while we're preaching, man. It was looking good. One of them compression shirts, and we are doing good, and we're sucking it up. And people are getting saved. Praise the Lord. Pray, oh, amen. Praise the Lord. And we get back in the minivan with our wife and our kids. We're like, oh, God. Got through another weekend, and we fooled them again. And then it perpetuates because then we get together with other guys, and they don't, they, uh, nobody's been on us for years. Right? So you got a group of like five or six brothers you kind of loosely relate with. 
kind of acquaintances, but you say you're like BFFs, but you're really acquaintances, okay? So you kind of get together kind of annually, and you see each other, hey, brother, how you doing? Praise the Lord. Brother, it's good to see you. How's everything going? It's good, man, good. And this just perpetuates itself five, six, seven years. Finally, some bold person in your loose association. Finally, you know, you guys are hanging out after one of the services. They say, can I be honest, guys? Like, we've known each other for like six, seven years. Yeah, yeah, brother, praise God, praise God. Can I be honest? Uh, I want to I wanna do crack. <laughs> and I'm really considering looking at naked people on the internet late at night. That sounds real good. My wife hates me, and my kids never want to come back to church. I'm not doing good at all. And I'll tell you what happens. All of a sudden, everybody at the Waffle House goes, <laughs> Man, me too. Praise God. I tell you what, man. Lord Jesus, I'm losing my mind too. That's the first step to getting to the other side. Admitting that you're not there. If you're always fooling yourself that you're there when you're not there, it's going to be hard for you to get there. Saying, you know what, I am in the meantime. You know what, I don't really know what I'm doing. You know what, I need some help. What are you doing? How are you coping? Do you have a doctor? Counselor? Lay hands on me. Push me over if you have to, you know. Whatever. Because, see, uh, we, we got another misconception. Uh, we think that the, only the spiritually elite get to the other side. So some of us have a concept based on the speakers that are speaking and the church and the sizes and the ministry and the influence. Uh, they, have, they, have, they have negotiated the concepts and principles and the theological nuances that I'm unaware of. They have a mystery. They have a secret. If I could untap and realize their secret, then I could go to the other side, too. And if I could just applicate and apply the word of God, then I, too, could get to the other side. Because, because they've experienced that breakthrough. If they've experienced that influence and they've experienced that growth. It's because... Because they're spiritually elite. We think the spiritually elite gain access to the other side. That's why I love Mark 6. I think it's verse 52. It says uh, they, they, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about the loaves because their hearts, these are the jokers in the boat, the missionaries God has taken to the other side. It says they did not understand what he was saying because their heart was hardened. Now, right about the time I realized that the guys I picked for my team are all all hard-hearted is the time we do a 180 with the boat, go back to the, the first side and say, I'm trading you guys. I'm trading all of you because I have a mission in mind and you're all hard hearted. What I love about the Bible, even in the little scriptures, you see the grace of God and their hearts were hardened. Then, or when they had crossed over to the other side, is the next verse. Who is this God who takes hard-hearted leaders to the other side, to the next place, to the next level? It's by his grace. It's not your spiritual elitism. It's not your vast knowledge and education. It is the grace of God. The question still is begged, begs to be asked, What did they do to get to the other side? What is your other side today? What does your other side look like? 
I make no apologies for this, but where our church is, I tell our churches on Sunday, this is the smallest city church will ever be in its history. You need to know that. Prepare for that. I love, I trust God, I'm enjoying the days that I have, but I know in my heart there's another side to God's plan. How do I get there? I used to have all kinds of concepts. We'll get there if I do this and I do that. And, I, and some of you are like, God, are we there yet? I've upped my Bible reading this year by 32% daily average. I've got through the one-year Bible three times this year. I've upped my daily prayer time on average 18 minutes per day. I've invited more people in my history. I've, I, have, I, have, I have cared for my wife more gently. What I've done, are we there yet? When am I going to get there? So we come to conferences like this because in our hearts what we really want to know is what's the secret to get me to my other side? There's no secret. I'm sorry. So let's ask the question, what did these disciples do to deserve, which of course is the wrong word, to get to the other side? I can only find one thing. I've done my best. I've looked in the original language and I've done my cross-references and I've even looked at some of my commentaries. And I, I can't, uh, there's only one thing I can find that these guys did, these hard-hearted leaders did to get to the other side. Only one thing. Here it is. They didn't jump ship. They just stayed in the boat. They just stayed in the boat. You you can't tell me that Peter didn't straddle the boat a couple times. Shoot, man, I'm out of here. Please, man. Somebody stepped up and said, Peter, no, you're not. Get back in that boat, man. Because there's going to be times where you launch out. Leadership is all about risk. And you launch out and you say something crazy to your congregation. We're going to grow. Everyone's like, he's getting crazy, you know. (laughs) And you launch out. There's going to be moments where you look back where you came from and you're like, man, look at that. They're having a barbecue on the beach. Shoot, that looks fun. They're throwing the beach ball around. They got hot dogs, kosher. I mean, it's awesome. And you're looking back going, I just, just maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go back. And you look towards the future and all you see is clouds mounting and waves building. God, are we there yet? What's it going to take to get to the other side? Just stay in the boat. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Seems so insignificant just just staying around. But I've discovered, even upon reading the scripture, how significant it is just to stay where God puts you. Don't you give up. And if you've never felt like giving up, you've been a leader for less than six months. (laughs) Stay in the boat. 
These guys have attitude problems. They are doubting. They are anxious. They are worried. They got bad confessions. But you know what? I stayed in the boat. I trusted God. Pastor Judd said it so beautifully. God, I, I, I'm, I'm all in. I'm staying in the boat. There are men and women under the sound of my voice. You have contemplated, even the days leading up to this leadership conference, you have contemplated cashing it in. I'm done. This is enough. All I see ahead of me is clouds building and waves mounting. It's enough. It's too much. What happens when we start out in ministry is there's all this promise. Do you remember back in those days? I'm going to plant this church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you launched out, and there's all this excitement. Like, I hear people in, in, in my circles. This wouldn't be in your circles because you're great people. But they, they point fingers at other people. Like, I, you hear about so-and-so. They, they gave up. I can't believe that. They cashed it in. You hear about so-and-so. And I used to go, yeah, man, please, I can't believe that. Now I understand. You know, Proverbs tells us why people feel like giving up. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Remember when you first had that vision, that idea, that passion, and hope built in your heart, and you thought, God, this is going to be awesome. But somebody forgot to tell you that sometimes from this side to the other side can be years and decades. That's why Abraham was so ticked off in Genesis 15 when God says, I'm your great and exceeding reward. And Abraham's like, please, man. Because for 20 years, he had had promises, three visitations from God, and nothing had happened. So Abraham developed a leadership attitude. Talk is cheap, God. How many more dreams and visions and hopes and desires and plans are you going to give me and they're going to remain unfulfilled? I'm done. I'm out. This is ridiculous. And God can't even barely convince Abram that he's going to do what he said he's going to do because too much time lapsed. So because of the delay, we assume we are denied. But just because you're delayed does not mean your dream is denied. God is true to his word. I said God is true to his word. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, and the, the latter part of the verse, and you can put it on the screen, see if I can quote it right. It says, but when, when like the fruit comes on the tree, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. And the fruit comes on the tree, what I'm talking about. <laughs> I put scripture to memory. When the desire comes... It's a tree of life. I, I, I love scriptures like this because we read over them like, praise the Lord, when the desire comes. But it's like, and like that helps. When is when? Isn't that the problem in the verse? But when desire comes, well, pastor, when is when? It's when it is. It's when it is, man. I have no idea. For my life or your life. But I think there'll be a win. We just stay in the boat. Did a whole study on Galatians, and then we preached through it for several months at our church. And Galatians 6, 9, if you could put that up on the screen. That's a good verse. I love the corporate 
nature of this verse. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I don't know what that means to you. But notice it says in due season. Isn't that the problem with that verse? The heck is due season. When your season's due, man, that's when it is. Cool. That's what keeps God God. Me not. When is this all going to work out? I don't know, but I'm all in. I'm just going to stick it out. Have you seen the barbecue? Have you seen the volleyball? Have you seen the beach ball? Yeah, I just just going to stick it out. Sometimes, sometimes you need a friend in the boat to tell you, I'm not going to let you get out. Like, I think these last six years have been the most painful years of my whole life. Six years ago, the doctor said to my dad, uh, the max you'll live is three years. They diagnosed, gave him a diagnosis of multiple myeloma cancer of the blood, my hero, my best friend other than my wife. My dad's my best friend. Talk every day. Before we flew out here, I, just, I spent the night with him at the hospital just hanging out talking. My hero, my dad, my spiritual father and my natural father could throw football 60 yards, could go on and on and on. And then dad loses weight. Now he weighs less than me and he's, he's a lot shorter than me. He used to be an inch taller than me and He's lost like five inches. I'm always giving him a hard time. I'm finally taller than him. But it's been difficult. We're not where we used to be, but we're not where we're supposed to be. My Bible says Jesus can heal people. So I've been praying that Jesus, according to Scripture, would heal my dad. He's not healed yet. What's your explanation? Please don't give it to me because I've heard it all. I just think it's my job to believe and to stay in the boat. I don't have an explanation. Just in the meantime, our congregation has watched their hero, their pastor, for six years. He's lived twice as long as the doctor said he should live. That's a victory right there. What do you do in the meantime? I'll tell you what I'm learning to do. Just trust him. Just, just hold on. I love, I'm, I'm going to end, and I'm one of those Pentecostal guys, so somebody can play the piano, so I sound really spiritual. <laughs> Be great. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> You're awesome, man. Bring the Holy Ghost, come on. There we go. There we go. (laughs) Ephesians, this scripture is so awesome, talking about the armor of God, and you know it. It says, uh, having done all to stand. Hey, God, are we there yet? Is the healing, has it happened yet? Has the growth happened? Has the restoration happened? Has the breakthrough happened? Has the vision been realized? The desire you put in my heart 22 years ago. 
God, are we there yet? What we're really saying is I've done everything I know how to do. I've prayed all the prayers. I've studied the book. I've declared it. I've believed it. I've stood on it. I've preached it. Are we there yet? When's my church going to grow? When's my baby going to be healed? When are my finances going to be fixed? God, I've done everything I know how to do. Am I there yet? Are we there yet? Sometimes it seems like there's no reply. So having done all to stand, the scripture says, stand. Just stand there. Whatever you do, here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced leaders try to do too much in the meantime. They try to do too much. It's too much. Try too hard. Do too many things. I'm going to fix this. And I'm going to, of course, it's men. We're the big fixers. Our wives have problems. All they want us to do is listen, but we, got, we go to fixing. And some of us, we lead our churches like that. I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to fix that. And if I could just tie up all the loose ends, then we'll finally get to the other side. And then you tie up all the loose ends, and nothing happens. God, I must be missing something. You're not missing anything because you have Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I'll stay in the boat amidst the wind and the waves and the chaos any day as long as Jesus is in my boat. You can keep your beach ball and your kosher hot dogs. I'm staying in the boat because where he is, that's where I'm supposed to be. So what are you going to do? Are you going to give up? Are you going to stand? What do you do? When you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're supposed to be, I tell you what you do, you just stand. Go stay right here, God, because you called me and you anointed me by your grace. I end with this. I end right here. As a little boy on Friday nights, we'd have family movie night. We'd watch fun movies, and we'd lay on this big couch that Dad bought at a garage sale. It smelled like smoke. We, we'd watch the Apple Dumpling Gang or something. Condor Man, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. We'd watch these movies. And when you're eight, nine, you, your eyes are always bigger than your stomach, and you always think you can stay up later and eat more. Sure enough, every time I'd fall asleep on the big couch in the basement, Something crazy would happen in the morning. I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be in my bed. I'd open the covers and I'd be in my pajamas. And you know, when you're eight years old, you're looking around going, this is crazy. <laughs> and you'd ask the question, how did I get here? I'll tell you how you got there. When you didn't have enough strength, when you were tired and you fell asleep, while you were sleeping and while you were resting, dad found you and he picked you up in his arms and he took you where you needed to be. Some of you, you are so restless and you're so anxious and you're so worried and you're so stressed. God, I got to fulfill the mission. I got to fulfill the plan. I got to see the vision played out in our ministry. God, and what he wants you to do is just rest in his sufficiency. And while you trust and while you rest, 
there is one neither slumbers nor sleeps. And he will be the faithful one. He is the righteous one. He is the holy one. He is all sufficient. He is the beginning and he is the end. And he is everything in between. He is your source. And while you sleep, he will sail you to the other side. And there's going to come a day and there's going to come a season where you're going to wake up and you're going to say, my God, how did I get here? It was by his grace and his grace alone that took you to where you were supposed to be. Come on, church. Let's magnify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on. He's our source. He's our strength. Jesus, we love you. We love you. And we trust you, God. We trust you, God. We trust you, God. Jesus. 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 If you say, Judah, I'm, I'm in the meantime. You're talking to me. I'm in the meantime. Would you just lift up your hands? So, man, I'm in the meantime. I'm in the meantime. Whatever you do, don't you give up. You stand. 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 Jesus, I stand here as a friend to my brothers and my sisters. And I pray, God, in this moment you'd use me like a friend in their boat to say, I will not let you jump ship. And I pray right now by the grace of God that you'd surround them by your presence. God, we don't even need to know how it's all going to play out. We just need to know that you're with us that you're in our boat. I just need to know today, God, that you're with me. I pray right now for your presence in this place to minister to my friends, to minister to these pastors and these leaders. You're going to make it. You're going to be who God called you to be. Just hold on and stand. We declare it in Jesus' name. Jesus, I will exalt thee. Jesus, I will exalt thee. Jesus, I will exalt thee. Because you're my God, Lord. You are my God. Come on, one more time, pastors and leaders, let's declare it no matter what. I will exalt thee. Yes, I will. In the midst of my storm, I will exalt thee. Yes, I will, Lord. I will exalt thee. Jesus. You are my God. Can I encourage you, pastor, leader? Find somebody, maybe even in the break. Say, brother, will you pray with me? I'm in the meantime. I need your prayer. I need your support. And together, we, we shall reap if we don't lose heart. God bless you.